Hello there, welcome to the Peter Greenwood Show podcast. My name is Peter Greenwood and I'm bringing you an interview all the way back from the heady days of June. Andre Harriet, he is from the band Damage. He came on to speak to us about the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the things he's been doing with his charity called the Liminality Group. So take a listen. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. My name is Peter Greenwood. My next guest, his name is Andre Harriet. He is, well, Andre, how would people, how do you say people best know you as? What are some of the things that you've done? What are some of the accomplishments you've got under your hat? Um, some people know me as a musician, as part of the R&B band Damage, but I'm also a criminologist, a sociologist, and an organisational consultant. I'd like to start by asking about being a criminologist. How does one get into the field of that, and how does that segue into being in Damage? What was the connection well, there? So, look, tra- we're very fortunate. We travelled the world at a very young age, um, sold a few million albums, a few million records, should I say, um, and after touring kind of died down in the early 2000s, I thought about what I wanted to do moving forward um, and I had a real uh, epiphany that I just wanted to dedicate my life to working with children, uh, especially children from disadvantaged communities and children who um, are more prone to become involved in uh, offending, um, whether that's because of intergenerational offending or because of socioeconomic factors or uh, because of mental health conditions or just because they've been exploited by older criminal peers. So I just dedicated my life to doing that. I spent nearly a decade working in a youth offending service and then set up my own organization, uh, the Liminality Group, or TLG. Um, and we now deliver services across prisons, secure training centers with children, and we work in the community with children in schools who are most at risk of being excluded. That is incredible work and incredibly yeah. noble to come from uh, from the touring background, to just be like, I want to yeah. settle down and do all that and learn yeah. my field and it sounds like yes. you've become a master in your field yes what are some of the stories that you've discovered and some of the most memorable moments of working with tlg forgive me i can't say lim- lim- liminality liminality did i get it right yeah exactly Perfect. exactly yes so look, i'll just quickly say that the word uh, liminality it speaks to a space uh, in between where you're coming from and where you're going to so most of the children that we work with most of the organizations that i consult to are separating from a previous way of working, separating from a previous lifestyle. They're in a middle passage, which is a liminal space, an ambiguous space, a holding space. And then after working with us, we hope to reconnect them back into society in a different state. So some of the most memorable stories would be for children we've worked with who, you know, the the, the police and various agencies said they would never, you know, see their 18th birthday. They would completely be a write-off. Um, and those children have gone on to have law-abiding lives, have their own children, work in phenomenal jobs because they had consistent support. We've had multiple children in schools who, again, were deemed not to be, uh, deemed the ones who would be least successful in maybe their GCSEs or even just completing their educational journey. Those individuals completed very well. They went on to um, get A-levels. They went to university. And again, they now live uh, law-abiding lives and they and they, they get to experience um the life that you know most of us take for granted. So we have multiple stories. As well, we have stories of children who have not been so successful, children who are no longer alive um, because their lives have been taken by their peers or children who will be in custody for a very, very, very long time. So it's not all, you know, it's, it's not all um, positive, but then it's not all, it's not all uh, depressing and emotional. We have a nice mix of, of success stories. 
it feels like it's not enough to say that's incredible work but that is truly incredible work and truly inspirational work and it's very rare that i get the chance to say that on this show <laughs> amazing but that's good i'm glad i can be a first oh thank you for being my first it's, <laughs> but I, I love the idea of these kids proving people wrong of coming out yeah. of their background and saying look i am not this this is not what defines me yeah, 100%. Look, some children will have really harrowing early childhood experiences uh, and be impacted by, you know, really challenging adverse childhood experiences, uh, which we don't need to go into now. And and when you meet those children at the end of the line in custody after committing a serious offence, and then you, you dig into their background as an adult, as a, as a human being, you feel, you know, you feel broken for them that somebody didn't intervene at a much, much earlier stage. And I don't mean just intervene once, I mean consistently to remove these children from some of the harm they were they were exposed to, or some of the abuse, emotional, physical, psychological, uh, um, various forms of abuse that they may have been exposed to. Um, so yeah, you know, this work isn't for everybody. Um, and for me, I call it a calling. It's something that I'm really called to do. Um, and we just hope, you know, when, when we take our last breath on this earth, there can be a you know, hundreds and hundreds, not thousands of children's lives that we could have impacted in a, in, a, in a positive way. That is a good thing to hope for, I think. For sure. Definitely. So let's get into discussing the Black Lives Matter movement because it's absolutely a big thing happening at the moment after the murder of George Floyd. I hate to say the death of George Floyd because, let's face it, he was murdered. That's the wording, I think, is more accurate. Yeah, thank you. And it's coming... I don't want to say it's coming to the UK because it's been in the UK for a while, but there's been more protests recently. There's one coming up in Scotland this weekend. Yes. And this is going to sound such a broad way to begin this question, but how did this all start? Why is it happening? Oh, wow. How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's just be, let's try and be really focused because that, that question could go on for hours. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize uh, for that. It's just, no, no, it's fine. It's a massive thing. question, but let's just think specifically about uh, George Floyd from what we understand. There seems to be systemic and institutional racism within certain aspects of the police force within certain parts of America. Yes. And that allowed the murder of a man to take place on the street and for one individual to hold that person with their knee and for three individuals to not restrain their colleague to feel paralyzed by the power he had or paralyzed by his standing or paralyzed by the institution they work within, maybe not to be able to speak out. So that's saying that specifically in terms of George. But I think what America has always grappled with is that the foundation of America has been built upon slavery, has been built upon removing, uh, uh, you know, the American Indians from their land has been built on doing some really, uh, um, um, uh, God, what's the word that can really encompass what I'm trying to say? Um, what just, just, just some harrowing behavior. Yeah. Absolutely. Some behavior that, that has been uh, intergenerational. So it, so you get to this point uh, that we experienced in the early 90s when we saw Rodney King beaten, and we, and we were horrified at that. You get to this point where you see, uh, you know, phenomenal leaders like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King shot and murdered. You get to this point where you're post-civil rights and America is still saying it doesn't feel that much, much has changed. And then you bring that into a UK context. And, you know, the murder of Stephen Lawrence enabled 
the, the Met Police especially to say that we have institutional racism. We are institutionally racist and we need to work out how we're going to move from that position to somewhere else. But if you go back further, our parents and our grandparents will talk about their experiences of the police system in the UK, their experience of the education system, their experiences of just being black. And I think um, when you bring all those factors together, and please notice I've only spoken about America and England, I haven't looked at Africa, haven't looked at Brazil, haven't looked at Europe as a wider whole. What's being recognized by people globally, which is such a beautiful place to be, is there has been a consistent um, uh, suppression and oppression of, of black people globally. And I know that because one, I am black and I've experienced it, but two, because people globally of all races are coming out and saying that Black Lives Matter because it's got to that point now where it can't be hidden anymore. I think that's a very well put way of summing it up. I'm sorry, that sounded really badly, a very well put way no. of summing it up. No, but you know, you know, it's so difficult because we could talk for hours on that yes. point. But sometimes you just need to make some simple connections and just go, holy crap, it's been staring us in our eyes. It's really been staring us in our, in our faces, sorry. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you, again, you you talk about the US and there are countless people who've been murdered by police officers with systemic racism, but then you mentioned the UK murders, like Stephen Lawrence. Lawrence Absolutely. Excuse me. Yep. And it's, as you said, it's staring us in the face. And 100%. It is all starting to be challenged exposed. more. Exposed. Challenged yes. and exposed, yeah. And there are multiple men and women of uh, colour, men and black men and women in the UK who have died in police custody or during police restraints. And look, we have to always be careful. The work that I do, I interface with the police a lot. I will tell you there are some police officers who are incredible at their role. They're incredibly passionate. They're incredibly focused. They understand some of the institutional stuff that has gone before them and some of the institutional stuff that still exists but they work extremely hard to try and challenge that. And then there are many others who really just through their practice show they don't care. And, um, and uh, you know, what I'm trying to do at the moment with my interviews is say to people, let's not just look at America and be blind to what pe black people have experienced in the UK. We must look at both experiences and say, okay, we're not as bad as America. Yeah. But let's but let's not say you know let's not let us let ourselves off the hook. We also need to take stock of how things have been for black people in the UK. I one hundred percent agree. And something that happened this week, and I, I apologise for telling my stories because how I feel about this isn't relevant. This is a worldwide no, is. thing. Yeah, I was watching a video earlier this week about street names in Glasgow, and there yeah. are street names like Wilson Street, Socky Hall Street, and I didn't realise those names were the names of people who were slave owners and brought people over for slavery and that 100% that's part of the problem is not educating people about the the places and the history of this problem and it's uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable because you know I travel the UK and some of the most incredible architecture that I see if you do your research you will realize some of that was funded from some very difficult places and to be explicit it was funded through slavery yes and at what point do we stop and we just feel the uncomfortability of that and then we say this is the history if you meet somebody especially a black person and they have a scottish surname you need to interrogate that and ask yourself how is that possible yeah because what will happen is you'll go back and you'll realize goodness 
that means their ancestors came through a plantation that was owned by somebody who was English or Scottish or American. I don't want to, you know, lumber it at one individual. Mm. But if you meet a black person and they have a similar surname to you, you have to start thinking to yourself, moving forward, how is that possible? And just go and do some research on it. It's going to be uncomfortable, but at least it can move us to a position where we start recognizing and we go, my God, this stuff is in the DNA of the globe and we need to make some changes. Yeah, and it brings out the truth of what the truth the people went through to get One, this. One hundred percent. And I you know, I've been saying all along, I don't want my some of my dearest friends and family are white. I do not want to ostracize them at the moment. I don't want them to be, you know, tumbling over their words and not sure what to say, when to say. Of course they're gonna have those feelings, but keep the dialogue open, keep the conversation open, keep it going. Bring your, you know, your ignorance about things. Let us work through it together. Um, you know, bring your knowledge about things and let us work through that together. But let's keep the dialogue open. It's so important. That is one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show today and to have this conversation is because there, there are things that I don't know. I want of to course. learn and I want of to course. listen. And I wanted to talk to you about them and get your take on them because that is important. Fantastic. That is how we get through this. Of course it is. And it's listening and it's learning and it's being in a place of, you know, absolute um, and an, an empty state as an individual where you're ready to be filled with knowledge. You're ready to be, you know, introduced to the knowledge. And listen, the, the black history in the UK cannot just be centered around uh, slavery and the migration of people from different African and Caribbean uh, countries. It also has to be centered around the achievements and, and the rich richness of the culture. But we have to give each other space to, to discuss those things. We have to. I absolutely agree. And that's why I think this is so important to have this conversation. The conversation I'm having with you and also the global conversation and make absolutely. people understand. Absolutely. If I may ask, and this is going to be kind of a, uh, a silly question, maybe an offensive question. I do not mean this in any way to be offensive. That's fine. I that's heard you fine. take that breath in there. I, I apologize. No, 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 because you know what it is? As, as this is what I'm saying about some of my dearest and closest white friends. They're so scared at the moment yeah. of getting things wrong. And I hear you. So, like, say it, and if it's wrong, we'll call it out, and then we'll work through it. So go for it. Okay. I, thank you. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for this. When the video of George Floyd first came out and was exposed to the world, yeah. again, a very broad question and also maybe a personal question. How... Did it make you feel after seeing this video and also so many other videos? Did it feel to you an instantly like this is enough, this is a turning point? Or did that take some time to to build inside you? Oh, no, it wasn't a turning point. <clears throat> because um, and we're talking about the, the day that the footage uh, emerged. I didn't have that feeling that this was a turning point because we have seen videos like that over many, many years not as horrific normally it's by a gunfire you know uh, yeah. officers shooting an individual but to see an individual held down for so long during that period i think that that really shifted people's uh, thinking around this issue but also um i think uh for myself you have this emotional connection with george because i could be george and there are people in the UK my age who had been, who had been and have been, uh, their lives have been taken in similar situations. But then I think the real turning point came when the Globe recognised that the four officers hadn't been detained immediately. 
And I really think retrospectively, if when, once that footage emerged, if they had all been fired and all arrested immediately, I don't think you would have seen the protests the way you did. I think people would have still protested, but I don't think it would have it would have got as violent as it as it as it has, and it would yeah. have been so much tension. I'm glad that it has because it's shifted things in in the global uh, uh, mind, in the mind of people globally. Sorry, but um, you know, one of the hardest things for me as a black man is to see George Floyd die in that way. It just makes you feel like, my God, that could have been any one of our people that we know, and that's yeah. a difficult thing to see. That must be one of the most terrifying parts of the video is how it could be anybody just 100%. wandering down the street. Like George's, oh, yeah. George's crime, for those who, who aren't familiar, is he was accused of passing a counterfeit $20 bill. But that's not licensed to put your neck on your knee on somebody's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And just to clarify, the, the, the person in the shop that called the police later said that it was not a fake dollar bill. Yes. At all. Exactly, yeah. All right? Yeah. So actually, he lost his life for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And as nothing. you said, there's no justification, whether it was a, a $100 bill, whether it was a $20,000 check that was trying to be forged. Yeah. That, you know, life is priceless. That's so exactly I what think, I was going to say. There's no yeah, price. There's no price, it. but I think what can be harrowing for somebody who's not black watching that so maybe somebody who is white is looking at a white person doing that to a black person and thinking my god in 2020 is this what people are really doing so i may have the feelings from george but you may have the feelings of seeing the officer and seeing somebody with authority and power misusing it in that way that is exactly what i thought i was like why is this happening because it's going to, it's going to sound because everybody said oh this is sickening oh this is heartbreaking but it is sickening and it is heartbreaking to watch that video and i couldn't understand why that officer was doing it even after this is going to get quite graphic even after george lost consciousness he still yeah. stayed there and it's horrific because that is an example of working in a in an organization where the checks and balances are no longer being done and you think you can act with impunity you can't do that in your job. You know, it's almost like you coming on this on this interview and saying some really derogatory things to me. You know yeah. you can't do that because within your role, there are checks and balances which prevent doing that. And as well as human being, that's not what you would do. Yeah. That officer knew that the checks, the checks, the, 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 uh, the, what we should call the, you know, the kind of um, restrictions to the behavior within his organization had become so lax and not just him nationally across America that he thought he could act with absolute impunity or autonomy and just do what he wanted to do. And he's been caught out and, yeah. and you know, God's willing, you know, he will spend a very, very long time in custody for this. I, I think, I think slash hope he's going to spend a long time in this because somebody needs, I don't, I don't know if it's the right term. Somebody needs to pay for this, but there does oh, need to be retribution for this. 100%. 100%. This is a very broad-ranging question, and I know you've got a life to go and lead, and I thank you for your time yep. today, and we'll, no, we'll wrap this up as soon as possible. Where do you think the world is going now after George's, after losing George and all the protests and all the riots and all the rebellions, as I'm being, seeing them called online? Where is the next step for this? Right, so at the moment, I, I think we need to be cautious to try and rush to solutions and actions because I still think people are feeling the pain and people are still grieving. But I think what we're seeing right now, just by you and I having this conversation, is the world is opening up and the world wants to talk and the world wants to listen. 
So it will no longer be a taboo subject. It will be something that within the workplace, within the family, within general society, that people will want to discuss more. People want to teach their children about history, about black history. People will want to call out uh, racist behavior in public and in private more openly. People want to provide opportunities so there's intergenerational changes economically, politically, culturally for black people globally. So I'm hoping that we have a society where people want to fight for their fellow human, for their fellow human. And they'll say when something is wrong, it is wrong. And this is what we're going to do about it. If somebody's in your workplace and they're consistently racist, it's time for them to leave the workplace. It's not time for people in the workplace to feel that, you know, they're being bullied or they're being they're being um, dealt with in a discriminatory way week after week or month after month and nobody checks it. So moving forward, I'm hoping that I will see a world where we start to call out the systemic and the structural issues that have got us to this point. That's a very deep way of putting it and a very difficult way. It's not going to be easy going forward for some people. Oh, no, and it shouldn't be. It absolutely shouldn't be, because if you think about what has been carried by black people for many, many generations, and, you know, you think in an American context where people have said for so many generations that people are being murdered by the police and nothing is happening, those communities have held it. It's been very uncomfortable. It's been very painful. So the learning is going to be painful for people. I can't absolve people from this pain. It's going to happen. It's going to be difficult. It's difficult for you to have these conversations with me right now. But out of that difficulty, we're hoping that learning will come. I hope so as well. This is the voice of and and Andres. Did I get Andre? That? Andre Harriet. Andre Harriet. I'm so sorry. I, I I'm terrible right. with names. Andre <laughs> Harriet. Right. He is previously from the band Damage, which we haven't even discussed, by the way, because I was so keen to talk to you about everything that's happening at the moment. We didn't even get to bring up Damage, who I used to listen to when I was a kid. I remember listening to you guys in the nineties. Absolutely. Listen, we 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 we're very fortunate. Um, I say fortunate that we worked extremely, extremely hard. We signed our first record deal when we were in our early teens um, and went on to have you know great success with songs like Wonderful Tonight, Forever, mm-hmm. Love to Love. Yep. Um, on our second album, Ghetto Romance, Still Be Loving You. Um, we had huge success in Asia, Australia, Europe, and the UK. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate as well that we still tour. 20 years later, we're still touring. We just did the Boys Are Back tour with A1, I'm on 15, um, and that was really well received across the UK. Um, coronavirus kind of put a stop to it, but we will yeah. be going back out in February next year. So, it's, yeah, we're, right. we're so it's all still going on. No, no, yeah. It's uh, no, Well, the tour's not going on, but the tour will start again okay. in February, obviously. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for your time for coming on today. Where can people My find God, out real more information about you and the 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 limin- liminality group? Liminality, amazing. So you go to www.tlguk.co.uk. Alternative, you can put my name into a search engine, Andre Harriet Damage or Andre Harriet Criminologist or Andre Harriet London, UK, whatever it is, and you'll, you'll get some hits there. And you will find him and go and, go and say hi to Go and say hi to him. Go and say hi and just engage with engage with him. He's a lovely fellow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at this time, let's keep talking. Let's yes. all just keep talking. I'm so sorry we couldn't meet under better circumstances, but I cannot thank you enough for your time today and for coming on and being so open with this show today. Thank you. No, absolutely. A real pleasure. Have a great weekend. You too, sir.
That was Andre Harriet who is here to speak to us about his work with the Black Lives Matter movement and his charity The Liminality Group which works with young people and children from disadvantaged areas. That is it for today's episode. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram P-E-T-G-R-E-S-H-O-W Until next time, I'm Peter Greenwood. Bye every single body bye.